technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... Customer experience is really the great leveling field of our time. A tiny company can build something that completely disrupts an established huge industry just because the customer prefers it, because it makes the customer's life easier and better. It serves a purpose. And so anyone now can disrupt an entire industry just by being real and thinking, well, I don't really care that this is how this has always been done. People don't like it. I'm going to do, do it better. You're listening to The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. There's been a shift towards recognizing bricks and mortar retailers can't compete with Amazon, so they shouldn't try. And that's led to a focus on customer experience. Some retailers see the solution as technological. We'll soon enter a store outfitted with cameras trained to recognize our mood. Those same cameras will let us virtually try on clothing or makeup using augmented reality. And we'll be able to walk out of that store with a product without having to pull out our wallet. But no matter how much technology we throw at the future of retail, author and futurist Blake Morgan warns that companies that aren't thoughtful about that customer experience will fail. We began our conversation by explaining what she means when she writes, thoughtfulness is in. You know, most people are simply not very thoughtful. They don't consider when they're building an experience for someone else. They don't always think, well, how would this feel for me? What would I want out of this experience? So it's that extra step, just being extremely empathetic, considerate, and honestly sensitive. One of the best things a company can do for their business is hire sensitive people who are considerate of the needs of others and they can read the room. They can see things that other people can't see because these are the folks that are building experiences that other people actually want to have. Does this simply come down to the idea that uh, a retailer is focused on what's best for the retailer, not what's best for the consumer? Oh, absolutely. One of the biggest missteps is when companies are product focused over being customer focused. Like I used to work at a Fortune 100 software company and I worked as a customer service executive. And I clearly remember being in these long customer service meetings and the amount of jargon and acronyms, it was like being on another planet. If you were a customer sitting in our meetings, you would have no idea what anyone was saying. And it was an example for me about how caught up we get in our legacies, in how we do things, in our products how we run our business, and that's exactly the wrong approach. We need to think about, well, what? who cares what our legacy is? Who cares how we've always done things? How does it seem from the outside? What is the customer's perception of the brand? What is the customer's day-to-day real experience? And get rid of the ego, get rid of the established uh, way of doing things. And most companies just don't do it. They're not nimble enough. They're not humble enough. And they're not real enough about what's actually going on. So if thoughtfulness is in and we pivot towards focusing on the consumer experience, what does that look like five years out? Um, it looks like companies need to be more focused on 
customer journeys on the actual real lives of their customers and the role that the company plays in making that customer's life both easier and better. Because often when we sell customers products, we don't actually think about how they're using them. We're not always looking at the larger um, societal behaviors, at industry trends, at other ways that, that consumer behavior has changed and then fitting out figuring out where do we fit in. And so it's about being almost like a futurist for the company, having a vision and thinking really thoughtfully about what the customer's life is actually like now, what it might be like in a few years, and what our role is in providing value to that customer. Because I believe that customer experience is really the great leveling field of our time because a tiny company can build something that completely disrupts an established huge industry just because the customer prefers it, because it makes the customer's life easier and better. It serves a purpose. And so anyone now can disrupt an entire industry just by being real and thinking, well, I don't really care that this is how this has always been done. People don't like it. I'm going to do, do it better. And some of the industries that are the most hated industries are cable, telecom, healthcare, travel, these are the opportunities where little companies can just build something better and be successful. I really want to put a pin in that, those companies in those industries that are at the bottom of that list, because I think it's really valuable to come back to that. But before we do, tell me about how technology is integral to creating that thoughtfulness, or is it just about back office analytics? So I used to think that technology was everything. I know, Michael, you're a speaker and you probably travel around to groups. I was getting asked to do um, workshops and even teach at Rutgers Business School about technology. I wrote an article for Harvard Business Review about AI and technology. I thought, this is what the world wants to hear from me. They need to know about customer experience technology. This is the difference. But when I started interviewing CTOs for a book I was slated to write on technology, the CTOs that I interviewed from these amazing companies, they didn't want to talk with me about technology. Like the CTO of Sephora, I clearly remember taking the ferry from my house in Alameda to San Francisco, going up into the skyscraper into his corner office and interviewing him about his technology stack. And he totally switched the conversation and he wanted to talk about a teenage girl that walks into a Sephora makeup store. She has terrible acne and all she wants is to feel normal and to be able to go to parties and not be humiliated by her skin. And he wants to help her live her best life and give her a product that covers her acne and maybe even a face wash that clears it up. And so the point is the human element is what companies are often missing. And so the book I ended up writing had much more of the human element than the technology conversation. So the first three chapters aren't about technology at all. They're about the psychology of a customer experience strategy, like mindset. Do employees across the board jump out of bed in the morning excited to serve somebody, like at Amazon? Um, the second chapter is about culture. So what kind of culture do we have with our employees? And then the third chapter is about leadership development. And so these are all soft skills, these are not technology pieces. So I, I think that before we can even start using technology in a way that makes sense, 
we have to think about our priorities. We have to think about, well, what kind of message do we want to convey? Who do we want to be? Who do we stand for? And these are all free things. And these are the, this is the most common misstep by companies is they don't slow down to think about the human element. They just jump right into their technology stack. And that creates an emotional connection with the brand or the retailer or whomever. And you point out the customers who feel they've got that emotional connection don't just become loyal. They become advocates. Makes sense because, you know, for me, I am a mom. I have a three-year-old. I am also pregnant. Uh, I also have a business like you. I'm a speaker and an author, as they said, and I... I get tired. <laughs> I, we, my husband and I, we're always trying to look for ways to just make our lives more efficient because my point of view is that for m most people, life is complicated, life is hard. And companies that understand that, they're empathetic and they seek to make their customers' lives easier and better. These are the companies that, yes, we have, just like you said, an emotional connection because it's almost like love in a way. Uh, I think many of us take Amazon for granted, but most of us, we just can't even imagine our lives without Amazon Prime, without being able to get something delivered to our front door. Like I can't even imagine a time um, when we, I had to like schlep to the store. Um, now, you know, having a little one at home and trying to continue to grow my business, Amazon has really helped me to continue to be a working mom and, and not disappear um, being pregnant. And I actually think all these technologies are so wonderful for people like me because, you know, I can run my business from my smartphone, from my my iPhone, and I have a small team and I use things like Google Drive and all of these technologies, Asana. Um, we just live in such a wonderful time where we have access to all these tools that have just taken so much headache out of daily life. It's just beautiful. Tell me more about the emotional connection then. And what do you see as the big things that generate that emotional connection that create that loyalty and advocacy? When we think about the relationships we have in our own lives, we build relationships because someone else is there for us at a point of need, like a friendship where you're going through a hard time and you call a friend and they pick up the phone and they make you feel better. It's the same with a company, but so many companies, when it is that point of need when the customer is having a hard time the company actually makes life harder for that customer rather than easier and one example is even going into the hospital often when you when you have a, a extended hospital stay it's not just stressful for you it's it affects your family and hospitals they should be run like luxury hotels, but they're not. And so you've got administration, logistics. Often doctors don't spend a lot of time with you. They just treat you like a barcode. And this is a hugely missed opportunity where hospitals could treat um, customers really like members rather than the word patients. Um, and so it's in these industries where companies have this wonderful opportunity to be there for another human being at the point of need and they, they don't do a good job of it. They simply focus on operational efficiencies, trying to get as many people through the same experience as possible to maximize their profits. This is not the future. The future is personalized. It is human. It is considerate to the individual. And many companies, they're just, they don't understand the implications for their own brand, and they're not preparing quickly enough for this future. 
So I found myself on the floor of the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And one of the big advances touted for retailers was a technology that claimed to recognize your mood and intent and would dispatch a sales clerk depending on whether or not the AI saw you as a potential paying customer versus just someone who was browsing. Do you see this as a sea change or an incremental change in applying technology to that customer experience? There is a quote on your website, Michael, about... The future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Right. <laughs> that seat, like there's no other wake up call that's better than CES to see how true that is. Because it's like on the one hand, you go into a retail store today, no one notices you. It's hard to even find someone to get help. And on the other hand, you've got these companies that are interested in facial recognition where um, you walk into the department store. They know actually who you are, what your suit size is, what your preferences are. Maybe they know you have an important keynote speech coming up, Michael, and they greet you and they say, here, there, here's a gorgeous suit for you because you're going to be keynoting CES next year and you're so happy, right? Like that iris recognition scene from Minority Report with Tom Cruise running through the mall. Hello, Mr. Yakamoto. Welcome back to The Gap. How those assorted tank tops work out for you? Whenever you talk about facial recognition, looking at mood, I mean, this is an exciting area for people who like technology, but of course you always have people who are not into that, who are uncomfortable with it. So I think that these technologies are interesting, but we're so far from it. Um, I mean, right now, if you think of most consumers, we're using facial recognition mostly on our iPhones to unlock our iPhones. Um, and I think this is hugely helpful, but again, you also have security concerns. I know um, Taylor Swift used facial recognition. Maybe some of your listeners have heard this story, but she had a stalker. I think she's had a few stalkers and one stalker actually snuck into her apartment in New York and took a nap in her apartment while she wasn't there, which is quite scary. Um, but she had a concert and she was try she was working with this Israeli security firm to try and find some of these stalkers and make sure they weren't at her show. And so in one booth they had video playing of some of her, her warm-up act or her rehearsals. But actually it wasn't just that. The video they were scanning the faces looking for these people who were known Taylor Swift stalkers. And this generate this is kind of an old story but it generated like a huge conversation online about privacy and facial recognition i was more empathetic to taylor swift being a young lady like yeah well we should use these technologies to keep people safe but at the on the other hand um you know it, it can be problematic so i think these technologies are exciting again i'm into making people's lives easier and better when i'm cooking on and i have my iphone um, and I have food on my hands. It's great to be able to use my face to open my phone to keep that blog recipe on, um, lit up so I can look at it and not use my thumbprint. But again, other people, you know, they're not they don't want the government to know where their face is. And it's scary for them. So these are important conversations that we're having now. 
they're important conversations, but I, I get the, the broader sense that when you've got a, a faceless industry as opposed to individual retailers or individual companies generally, that if you ha- see mass adoption of things like uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning for facial recognition to determine the mood of a customer so you know whether or not you're going to get your head bitten off if you go up to talk to them or not, uh, or whether or not they're willing to part with some money, that these are the types of technologies that are coming regardless as to what that conversation is yeah i i think that um it is important to know the customer's mood there are other ways other than facial recognition like there was a story that went viral about sephora i talked about sephora earlier they are a very customer focused company they are using things like augmented reality in their apps but they're also using old school communication tips Um, and tricks in their stores like they have two carts you can pick up I think one is blue and one is red and I know I'm probably getting the colors wrong maybe one is black one is red one tells they call them beauty advisors in the store that the person wants help and they want the beauty advisor to approach them and help direct them to the right product and the other cart you can pick up tells the beauty advisor I'm just browsing I really don't want to be bothered so that's sort of a very low tech way to help um, right now when companies don't have these technologies to understand customer mood. But I mean, think about today's retail experience. Here's the biggest problem for me, which has nothing to do with technology, that most of our um, companies are extremely siloed. And today you have this e-commerce customer And she expects and demands a zero friction, seamless customer experience as she moves from the retail store to the app, to the website, um, to customer service, but she's not getting it. She's getting a retail experience that's fraught with friction. And the reason she's getting it, this um, non-horizontal seamless experience is because inside the company we don't have horizontal experiences our companies are huge they're siloed we don't share data around the customer we don't have one view of her we often have no idea who she is or what she wants or what she did in another environment and so we're we're seeing this problem today so i think that before we even talk about technology we've got to talk about organizational structure and how do we organize our companies, our departments to prepare for this future that's already here, just not evenly distributed, as you so wisely put on your website. Oh, oh, I won't take credit for that line at all. That's William Gibson. I know. It's not your quote, but it's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You have a great website, by the way. I was reading all the articles. Really beautiful. Um, Oh, thank you. There's a really great team behind Futurhythmic. These guys are doing a great job. so, So inside of our companies, We're not structured, our organizations aren't structured to serve this customer. Like at the Fortune 100 company I worked at for a few years, I worked as a customer service executive. We actually had a customer experience team. I never interacted with them. And when I asked my boss, oh, that's interesting, what do they do? She said, oh, they handle events for our good customers. And I thought, okay, that doesn't really make sense. So we can talk more about the problems I have with my own industry, (laughs) about how we talk about these things. But again, before we talk about technology, we're not even organized or set up to do things like AI machine learning data, share information around that customer. 
Well, at what point do we look at the siloed nature of divisions within a corporate structure and see them as an artifact of the past? I feel like we've been talking about breaking down these silos for years. We have, and the difference now is we are being forced to break them down. <laughs> What's the force at play? The force is the customer. It, but is it a millennial customer who won't put up with the nonsense of a Sears employee who can't be found to provide help? Or is it just broadly the consumer? It, it strikes me that there's a, a sea change going on here. And a lot of it has to do with a generation that is looking at everything, not just retail, but society, politics, the environment, in a way that previous generations either didn't have the courage to or simply didn't see as an issue. Yeah, you know, I was, I turned on this morning, I had Bernstein Bears on for my daughter, which is like a really old cartoon. I'm so sorry to hear that. I had to suffer through that too. This is an 80s, like 90s cartoon. Mm -hmm. I used to, and the episode they had on today was about the environment. And I can remember growing up in Seal Beach, California in Orange County, and we had Ricky the Raindrop to educate us about the environment, about droughts. I think that there's more information today. There's more awareness um, yeah, I think, I mean, if you ask parents, my, even my own parents, uh, I mean, my father, I love him, but he doesn't have the same stance as I do about some of these issues you mentioned, and that's okay. But what my father does believe in is good customer service. And I mean, he gets so upset. He's 70 years old, but like when he goes to a big retail store and he gets terrible service, he wants to pull his hair out. So I don't think that expectation of good service is generational so much like even some baby boomers are such super users of technology much more so than even millennials but of course thanks to the smartphone and social media the world has changed everyone has a voice information is spread extremely quickly and there's just more awareness now about what's going on in the world so i do think it's an interesting time but again, it's it's just about education information. Like I said, Bernstein Bears, an old episode about the environment. And I thought today, well, if this cartoon was created today, like how would the messaging change around the things they want little kids to be aware of? Uh, but yeah, I mean, even in my daughter's Montessori preschool, there's they're talking about sustainability. They're talking about diversity. Like we didn't talk that much about these topics when I grew up in Orange County, but it's just more awareness now about about everything and the access to information. So if the customer experience demands aren't generational and the retail world has to adapt, what of business to business? How is the customer experience different if you're B2B versus B2C? There's a stat that only 14% of B2B companies have a customer centric culture. 14. That's very, very low. So I think in the past, there's been this um, expectation that only B2C companies need to be customer centric. But now the thing is the, the buyer is having these delicious, seamless customer experiences from companies like Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, music streaming, Apple products. And then they go to make a large work purchase for their company and they have terrible customer experiences as a B2B customer. Um, they, they have trouble searching for information. Um, contracts are very long and complicated. And many B2B companies are realizing that they're held to the same standards as these consumer-friendly, customer-focused companies, that they need to start thinking of their own B2B brands 
um, they need to start thinking about customer experience. And at least I've seen a real thirst for content on this topic um, because in the past, again, we think, oh, it's only consumer friendly and consumer focused companies that need to think about this. Well, that's absolutely not true because every company today is being compared to the experience the individual has with Amazon, with the beautiful ease of use of Netflix, with AI and machine learning offered on Spotify when a playlist is perfectly tailored to your needs. And every company today needs to be more self-conscious about how they're being compared with these seamless zero friction experiences. So as Amazon has commoditized the sale of products and we move from selling products to selling services around those products, how does a retailer juggle multiple partners? How do you stay focused to ensure the customers are happy and you're profitable? Yeah, well, something that I write about in my book is that sometimes being customer focused can be actually bruising on workers. And I once gave a keynote for a huge software company that's very successful and often gets awards for both employee and customer experience. And I was presenting to the leaders in HR from all over the world. And after my speech, my speech was about the energy for influencing change. So basically, how do we take care of what's happening um, with our employees and also focus on the customer? How do we juggle all of these different pressures? And the guy, one of the executives came up to me and said, you know, we're all texting each other while you're speaking because all these principles you're espousing, you know, even though we get all these accolades and awards, we don't actually preach this. And I think that he was telling me that the employees were quite burnt out with all of the pressures of not only running the business, of keeping employees happy, of keeping customers happy, and it was quite taxing. So I think like anything in life, there's not always something like balance and being a parent, a working parent, I know that more than anybody, where there's no such thing as a perfect harmonious balance. It's constantly keeping things in check, understanding where you need to invest more time or energy um, without burning burning yourself out. So don't burn your employees out and hammer the message, customer experience, customer experience, without putting things in place that actually makes your employees' lives easier or makes it easier for your suppliers, like you said, um, which just creates more efficiencies. Because often the best customer experience is simply a focus on, well, how can we create better efficiencies so whether it's suppliers, employees, or customers, they're spending less time doing that tedious paperwork and they can focus on the human element of what they do or as a supplier providing better products to the business. So the idea that a happy sales clerk is a selling sales clerk and that technology has a role in all of this, but it's not the linchpin to that thoughtful consumer experience. It is just one of the tools necessary to make that happen. Right. I think that many of us get very excited about technology, but I hate to say, but sometimes technology people are the worst because <laughs> they're not, they don't know how to communicate and like IT people or CIOs or CTOs, it reminds me of that customer service meeting I told you about where it's like they spoke like on a different planet with jargon and acronyms. We have to remember who our audience is at all times, whether you are a CTO, a CIO, or you are a customer service agent trying to walk a customer through a technical um, fix on a product. It's always about 
thinking about communication and storytelling is extremely important and being thoughtful on how we create experiences for other people. And a big piece of that is communication. The, the keynote uh, of which you allude to that I, I was speaking at this morning, as a matter of fact, um, I, I looked at three key technologies, uh, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, and 5G as working in concert to build a better future, as it were. And I can see that being valuable at the retail level as well. You reference Sephora and how they've got apps that allow you to uh, augment your reality as, as part of that. Uh, the, the idea that there are going to be cameras in our retail outlets that direct salespeople to the people who look like they're interested in buying something versus those who have that leave me alone face. It strikes me that 5G, which is another one of those technologies that we really haven't touched on, is going to be pervasive everywhere in our lives and the retail experience won't be any different. Does that jibe with your view? I do think that retail will be different. You know, I have interviewed, like I interviewed the president of Qualcomm about what they're doing with 5G. It's an exciting prospect with just advances in technology like he mentioned with 5g being able to remotely conduct through robots and automation and 5g like a surgery or a construction site that you're managing from the united states but it's in india <laughs> so just like a real-time um, ability because of 5g so i think 5g is exciting but it's not here yet well, I just sort of see AI and machine learning that includes emotion recognition as a technology that's not going to take place in a box at a retail outlet. That's going to take place in the cloud and that you need to have a high speed connection to make all of that possible. But I think to your point, it all comes back to breaking down these silos and recognizing that if you can't sell somebody something profitable because Amazon's doing it more cheaply, then you have to focus on the experience. And consumers consistently place their internet and telecommunications providers at the bottom of the satisfaction list. You mentioned that at the beginning of this conversation. Well, what does that industry need to do to fix that negative perception? Yeah, I think it's a very sales-focused industry that, to be frank, is a little nervous right now because of just the change in streaming with Netflix, with all these other, you know, with Amazon Prime Video. So they're losing subscribers and they're having to think differently about their model. But I do think they're still extremely sales focused. And until they stop focusing so much on short-term revenue, um, I mean, it's an extremely competitive industry, telecom and cable and all these industries very 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 competitive right they don't want to be considered dumb pipes so it strikes me that they're looking for ways to provide experience and something around a product as opposed to just the product itself they're trying to provide an experience about the product but sometimes it's just it's too much like i you know a lot of these agents they have these metrics that their companies when they sell you like cable to when they talk to you on the phone to be personable sometimes to say your name three times but then they forget and so they'll just say okay michael thank you michael have a great day michael at the end of the call <laughs> and sometimes it's too much when they try and sell you something um it's just it's too personal like what shows do you like um, it's just like creepy. It's like, I don't want to talk to you about my, my favorite uh, comedy or whatever. But I, I, yeah, I think that it's just this lack of thoughtfulness. It's the, as long as you're focused on short-term profits, you're not willing to be misunderstood for long periods of time as you transform for a, better, for a different uh, future era. 
um, you, you're not going to really make these big changes. Like Amazon, what they've done well is for many, many years, they were willing to be misunderstood. They invested in very long-term goals and lost money for a long time. And like one of the topics I talk about is digital transformation, where many of these companies, it takes them five to seven years to go through these transformations. And most CEOs, if they're just there a few years, if you think about it, their focus is to make the company a lot of money so they can get another CEO job that pays even better. And so we have to start thinking about the metrics of the entire company and what incentivizes the people who actually run the company to really transform and change it so that company will be around in 10, 20, 30 years. I wonder if we can come back to that age out idea. You know, you wrote in Forbes about a a Sears, for example, pitting employees against each other. That's something I've personally witnessed in telecommunications. Do we just age out of the top down corporate culture? You know, we Gen Xers, we may have put up with it, but the garbage can kicking bosses of the boomer generation won't retain millennial employees. And if you don't retain those employees, you don't have long term success and you're not focused on that experiential opportunity with a consumer you know a lot of things are not evenly distributed it's not just technology it's sensible human management practices like pixar i wrote about in my book because they there's a great book by ed catmull and in his book one of the founders of pixar he talks about his approach to management which is simply hiring really good people and just looking for things that get in their way So just trusting that you hire great people, training them and empowering them to do their best work and not micromanaging them. I think really smart people, they don't want to be micromanaged. They want to be creative. They want to feel purpose. They want meaning and good companies. I find that they're often doing everything right. The companies today that are really, really amazing they you often i just published a list of the 10 most customer centric companies of 2019 and i focused on four different areas um, innovation employee experience sustainability and customer service and customer experience ratings and they're often on all of these in these lists because they do everything well they care about the community and the environmental impact they have they care about their commitment to innovation and a commitment to innovation is quite a humble place to be in. It's, we can never rest on our laurels. The world is changing and we need to constantly be pushing the envelope to make things better. To me, that's the most humble position to be in and most companies just are not. The employee focus, so the realization that, like Ed Catmull, getting things, um, getting hindering blocks out of the way of employees, enabling them to do their best work. That's a rare, that's a rare point of view. I mean, most of the companies I worked at, I had crazy bosses that only cared about their own uh, rear ends and their own reputations. Um, Some of them were complete bullies. It sounds like you and I worked in the same shop. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, I think this is, I think this is how most people feel at work is like, they're just trying to keep their head down and not get fired. So that's not an environment for innovation. But then you have other companies where a lot of them are here in the Bay Area too, where they're just like, they're doing everything different. They're, they're, they never had the establishment to care about. And a lot of these companies are actually um, run by the founders. They have founder CEOs and they're not beholden to the board, like Netflix, like Amazon, 
Um, and, and these are the companies that you're seeing so much innovation because it's their company. They don't care if the board you know, is a little annoyed because they lost money over one quarter. They're like, this is my company. I'm, I'm sorry, but this is my vision and I'm not going to cave and I'm not going to make quality worse for our community and our members and our employees because they're, they're that committed. They don't care about an ex CEO job like Tesla, Elon Musk. Um, I love Tesla and I think Elon Musk is really amazing. Um, I mean, the guy clearly is unorthodox. I don't endorse everything he does, but he's extremely customer centric. He sits um, among his engineers. He's very committed to the customer experience. And honestly, we just got a Tesla um, and it is seriously incredible. Um, I've given speeches about Tesla without ever actually driving the car. Now we have one and it's just we have a Mercedes. Honestly, the Mercedes, I was like a piece of junk. I mean, just the user experience, the user interface of Tesla, like clearly that like the engineers have thought through every piece of getting in the car and driving it. Um, and someone even wanted dog mode and they sent Elon Musk a tweet saying, hey, Elon, like I drive with my dog. Um, I leave my dog in the car. I want to be able to set the temperature so it's not too hot or too cold and then have a sign on the tablet in the Tesla that tells other people outside the car the dog is okay and don't call the police. And I think they put dog mode into practice. So here you've got a CEO, founder CEO is kind of a little uh, unorthodox, but the guy is so committed to all these principles and doesn't seem to care what the outside world thinks or the establishment. Everyone laughed at him initially. Um, in the early 2000s when he was trying to build a car that was as fast as a Porsche and a Ferrari and drove beautifully. But he took longer to come up with this car. And now I think that Tesla is the highest value. I don't remember the exact stat. It's like one of the most valuable brands today and they're doing so well. And now I'm a customer and I understand why because the experience is just absolutely beautiful. Well, now that you've got a second child on the way, maybe you need to upgrade to the Cybertruck. (laughs) Blake Morgan is a futurist speaker and the author of The Customer of the Future, 10 Guiding Principles for Winning Tomorrow's Business. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for your questions, Michael. I really enjoyed our chat. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting futurhythmic.com. The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.